Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and the Eagles have clinched home field advantage as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 125. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to discuss our thoughts after the Eagles win over the Oakland Raiders on Christmas night, which was basically a tale of two sides of the ball. A lot went right defensively, but on offense, not exactly an ideal way to wrap up the NFC. With this week's game against Dallas not really meaning too much in the grand scope of things, I thought I would take this opportunity to look ahead a little bit with our first prospect preview in our scouting report segment to wrap up the show, where this week we'll break down San Diego State running back Rashad Penny. But before we get into all that, let's not waste any more time. Greg Cosell and I break down the win over Oakland and talk about this Eagles team heading into Week 17. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Happy to be joined by a man who it feels like just a couple hours ago. It's 4 o'clock here on Tuesday afternoon. But, Greg, it feels like only mere hours ago you and I were watching the Eagles uh, clinch the NFC against the Oakland Raiders. It was a a bit of an ugly game on one side of the ball, a lot of fun to watch on the other side. But I want to get your initial thoughts now after watching the film on both sides. Let's start offensively. And, And obviously not a great showing for quarterback Nick Foles. When you went back and watched the film, what did you see? from the quarterback in his second start? Well, I have to tell you, Fran, in, in the uh, name of, of honesty and candor, I thought it was even worse than when we were watching it live. Uh, I thought it was not a good performance, and I think the thing that I think we had talked about that I, I might have mentioned to you uh, that was a concern as he was playing was it was one of those games where he was slow both mentally and physically. Uh, to use the term I like to use, he did not eliminate and isolate with the needed timing, and he was too deliberate and measured in the pocket. He missed essentially three touchdowns. Um, so there's there's a lot to work on with Nick Foles going forward. Yeah, there were certainly some missed opportunities. You know, you go into the red zone, you saw uh, not even just down near the 20-yard line, but then also even in the regular part of the field, I mean, the the – a couple of those dropped snaps where the ball ends up on the ground, the timing gets thrown off, and you, and you have some opportunities down the field that were left on the field uh, just due to some of those mistakes. And, and I agree. Uh, there were times where you're, you're watching Nick Foles and it didn't seem like he was seeing things clearly. He wasn't get, Sometimes he was getting through progressions too fast. Sometimes he was getting through too slow. Uh, a very uneven performance overall for the quarterback. I mean, really, there could have been three touchdowns. The two to Ertz uh, were just – throws that you have an open receiver in the red zone. Those are open receivers. Ertz was wide open by NFL standards. And then you start and sit and debate whether they're catchable balls or not. That's not the point. Open receiver in the middle of the field with the throw right in front of you like that, uh, those passes should be between the numbers. Anything else, and you're just trying to rationalize what's essentially not a good enough throw. And I don't know how you felt. We looked at it. I called in the guys from matchup here. On the, on the throw to Jeffrey, on that, which was a really nice high-low concept versus cover three. I thought, by the way, the Eagles had some real nice high-low concepts versus zone in this game. There were throws available in this game. Uh, 
but I thought that, that Foles was a beat late on that red zone dig to Jeffrey. I, I thought that he sort of took a little extra beat before he delivered that football. Yeah, I would agree. And there, it, it, in fact, it was it was so late that I thought at one point I thought he was actually going to the backside to Aguilar, uh, and I couldn't necessarily tell. But it, I I do agree that that ball was intended for Alshon, uh, and then he was a little bit late. The other area too. And this is definitely something that's fixable, but it seemed like on a couple of those run-pass option plays, and everybody loves talking about you and I talk about them, uh, and we listen to people talking about them ad nauseum, but on a couple of those where you know you just want maybe the box was a little bit heavy and the ball should have been thrown maybe the box was a little bit light and it should have been handed off there there were a couple plays there as well where i thought you know the it could have gone the other way and just overall just just not a good performance something that's good, that nick falls is obviously going to have to build on moving forward yeah and i think the other part which because of nick's performance which was less than desired i think that the running game needs to be better as well. That was sort of the overlooked part of, of the performance last night. Other than their only offensive TD drive of the game, they didn't really run the ball well at all in this game. And I think with with Foles, that will have to be a bigger foundation because they may not convert as many third downs, uh, particularly third and longs, because they don't have the ability of a quarterback now to compensate and camouflage breakdowns by the O-line. And I thought they also struggled the time with stunts. And I think that's something they're going to get more and more of, uh, particularly on the left side of the O-line. Now, I know Wisniewski will come back, I assume, for the playoffs. But still, that left side of the O-line will be tested and challenged by stunts. And we're not dealing with a quarterback now that can compensate for any weaknesses or breakdowns. So I think their run game needs to get back to where it was at at most of this season, but it was not really what it needed to be last night. Yeah, I agree with you. That second drive of the game, that long touchdown where you saw them run the ball nine, ten times in a row – that was really the only time where you felt the run game kind of got into a flow and into a rhythm. You saw lots of different concepts. You were, there's the tackle power. There's the, the wham trap. There's the, the inside zone. There's outside zone. They worked in a lot of different schemes on that drive. And then as things started to kind of fall apart in the passing game, like you mentioned, the run game started to fall behind it. And it wasn't necessarily one concrete issue. When I went back and watched, I'm like, all right, what, what was the main issue? And I couldn't really put a finger on it because it just seemed like it was one missed block here. You know, maybe there was a, a play where it was supposed to be a lead play and the lead blocker, you know, went, didn't go to the second level. So that guy was left unblocked. Maybe there was one again where there was a heavy box, not a good look for the offense and the numbers just didn't work out in the Eagles favor for one reason or another. The run game just couldn't get going. And then even when you did have a good run, it either came back on a, on a penalty, you had the Jay Ajayi fumble on the end of a 12-yard run. I mean, they just couldn't get things going on the ground, uh, particularly after that second drive. No, you're right. I mean, they start the third quarter, first play with another wham trap concept, Blunt getting 22 yards, and it's called back because of holding. And you mentioned a couple of mistakes in the run game. I remember one where Chance Warmack clearly made a mistake. It was a wham play, and he actually blocked the player that I think it was Selica Ertz was supposed to block. Um, so they, the run game, look, anytime you're not executing well in a particular area, it's never one reason. But the overall point is they're going to have to run the ball better. And I think the run game, as I said, takes on enhanced importance now because you're not going to have Wentz bailing you out if it's third and eight, the way he's done so many times this year. And and Foles will not be able to do that. So the the big question now, Greg, is you know, without jumping on the uh, you know the the instant reaction, overreaction to every little thing that happens on a weekly basis, you know, we all we all watch Nick Foles 
last week against the New York Giants and have success. He throws for four touchdowns. Everything feels good. We, we all feel good about where we're at with Nick Foles. This week now, lots of questions. When you look at this performance, obviously there are areas that are fixable. We know that Nick Foles is a better quarterback than what he showed on Monday night. What can the Eagles do now moving forward? Not necessarily this week against Dallas. We don't know if he's going to play. He may potentially play, may not. But what can they do moving forward now into the playoffs to help make sure that we see the good side of Nick Foles? I think he's obviously not as bad as he was last night. I think that's the extreme low end. And he may not be as good as he was against the Giants. He's probably somewhere in the middle. And as long as he's not turning the ball over, you can live with that. Um, I think one of the things that stood out on film to me, and I think they have to get back to this. I thought, and I don't know your feeling, I know you studied it as well, I thought there were a lot of isolation individual routes called in this game. And and I don't know if that stood out to you, but I think they need now to get really into their two- and three-man route concepts, their their schemes, their play design. They need to help Nick Foles. They need to help. Nick Foles is not like Carson Wentz in the sense that he's going to turn it loose versus man coverage and give guys a chance. He's not that kind of quarterback. He needs the scheme to define the read and the throw. And I think they're going to have to do more and more to present those uh, those receivers to him so that it's defined. Uh, so that's one thing I think they're going to need to do going forward. One thing you and I discussed before we left each other on Monday was how we were interested to see the film and get the overall thoughts on not just the quarterback but also the receivers on the outside. You can't really see that uh, watching the TV copy. When watching the, the film this morning, what were your overall thoughts on the play of the receivers? You know, were there any you know hesitation in terms of what you saw from those guys in this game against Oakland? Well, like I said, there were a lot of individual routes. I'm not sure that this group of receivers is is truly tailored to win consistently um, when it's when that's the situation. Uh, but again, I also thought that there were times receivers were open and Nick didn't get to it. I mean, I remember a couple times where I thought that Jeffrey was, was wide open on backside dig-type routes, and, and Nick didn't get there, whereas we'd probably expect Carson Wentz to get there because we've seen him do it. So, you know, I think, I think the, the statistics, uh, which were bad, obviously, for the wide receivers, uh, were probably worse than the actual performance, but... I still don't think this group is ideally tailored to win a lot of individual one-on-one routes. Greg, I think next week we'll probably take a lot of fan questions as we prepare now for the for that bye week and the wild card round. But we did get one question this week that I thought was pretty interesting, and that was from Richard in Charleston, South Carolina, who went on our iTunes page and left a question. He said he loved the podcast, and question for you and Greg. How do you evaluate a play caller? What makes Doug Peterson so good at what he does? And, and can do you and Greg scout his play calling during games? Thanks. That's from SC Eagle fan. So uh, I know you and I pretty we see see pretty eye to eye on this subject. But just wanted to get your thoughts on, on a topic that I think a lot of people like to bring up, especially when things don't look great on one side of the ball. They immediately go to oh the play calling was bad. What are your overall thoughts on, on what it takes? I guess to be a good play caller, and are those some of the things you see when you watch this Doug Peterson offense? Well, I've always sort of been taught, and again, I find it very hard to critique play calling, only because 
uh, coaches spend so much time specifically preparing for the given opponent. We're not spending that kind of time. And it's very easy to see plays that don't work and say that's a bad call and plays that do work and say great call. I think that play calling starts with having as detailed an understanding as possible of the defense you're playing against in their personnel packages and in specific situations. Because game planning and play calling, Fran, starts with understanding probability and tendency of your opponent. That's that's where it starts. You you ideally shouldn't just be calling random plays. You should be calling plays based on what your opponent does. Now, there are certain plays you feel very good about. Like let's say you feel like you're not running the ball real well, and you have two staple runs that you think are your best runs. Well, you know if you line up in base personnel you're against a certain defense, you're, and I'm just using this as an example, you're going to get an over front, you're going to get a 4-3 step, whatever it may be. Well, then you, you know you're going to get that, so you just call your best runs and you try to get it going. And then it has to be blocked. Uh, but I think when it comes to the passing game, what I look for specifically, and I think you do too, are concepts uh, where routes are tied together, where you know anybody can just line up on the outside and tell a receiver, you know, hey, just run around and, and get open and we'll throw you the ball. That's not play calling to me. Now, that happens in the league, and when it happens, that's great. You know, you line up Jeffrey as X and you throw him the ball, and he catches it against a corner, and you go, wow, that's great. But to me, it's, it's two- and three-man route concepts. It's mesh. It's, you know, rub elements. It's, you, you, you know, the kinds of things you and I talk about a lot. That's where I think that play calling and understanding defense really comes into play. And I think too, when you look at the, this Eagles offense as a whole over the course of the season, you know, the, we're, to me, where play calling really shows up is situational football. You know, you look at third down, you look at the red zone, and those are two areas. This Monday night, notwithstanding, where the Eagles have been so good all season long, and I think back to all the episodes of Eagles game plan this year, where you have Doug Peterson and Frank Reich and John DeFilippo and Mike Grow and everybody at Deuce Staley, and they're all talking about, "Hey, look, we we knew that if we lined up this way in this situation in this part of the field." We had a pretty good idea that this was the coverage we were going to get, or this was the front we were going to get, or this is how this corner was going to play, this kind of technique, and this is the route adjustment we had. That's all preparation and time. That's all spent in terms of the game planning and then manifesting itself into the play calls on a weekly basis. And I think that that's just been such an area where Doug Peterson and really his entire staff have been so strong all season long. A conversation this offseason when I was out in, uh, at the 49ers, facility with Kyle Shanahan, who I think is one of the two or three best in the league. And he made a great point. He said, when you call a play based on what the defense is, you have to understand how they can take away what you call. So let's say you're going to line up and you want to call a play-action pass. You have to understand how they would take away the run look of the play-action. So you attack them with the pass game based on the weakness that they'll now present based on who has to take away the run. And I think that's clear. You, I know you understand exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that dictate play calling. So let, let's flip the page here a little bit, Greg, unless there's something else that you feel strongly about with the offensive side. I think when you go to the, to the defense, was there anything, number one, that just kind of jumped out at you uh, going back and watching the film? I got to tell you, I don't know how you felt. I thought Danelle Ellaby looked pretty good in the base defense playing downhill in the run game. Yeah. 
and, and I didn't feel like we noticed that a whole lot last night for whatever reason. Uh, but I thought that, uh, uh, you know, he, he was reactive. I thought his play recognition was pretty good for a guy who hasn't played. Uh, you know, he's an upgrade at that middle linebacker position in their 4-3. Uh, not an upgrade from Jordan Hicks, but obviously he's out for the year, but an upgrade from who'd been playing. So I, I was really happy to see that. I liked what I saw from Danelle Ellerby. And it was interesting, too, that you saw late in the fourth, not late in the fourth quarter, but late in the game, the Eagles started to go to more heavier looks. You know, the Raiders had been in heavy personnel for a large majority of this game. You saw a lot of 13 personnel from this Raiders offense with one back and three tight ends. They wanted to establish themselves on the ground, and the Eagles were matching up in base, as most teams do. But when they saw that, yeah, they really want to get things going on the ground, you started to see not necessarily a 4-3, but you saw a 4-4 with four D linemen and four linebackers out in the field. They would bring Najee Good out there in their, with Donnell Ellerby, with Nigel Bradham, uh, and with Michael Kendrick's out there. I thought that was a really interesting adjustment from the defensive coaching staff mid-game. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing that stood out, and, and I guess I was conscious of it based on what John Gruden was talking about last night with Malcolm Jenkins, but he really, this game showed it because he gives the Eagles such tremendous versatility in, in man coverage versus really good receiving tight ends for this reason. Not because we know he matches up to tight ends at times, but there were a number of snaps in this game with three-by-one sets, okay, out of dime, where Cook was the detached ex-ISO tight end, and because Jenkins has corner skills, he would line up over the inside slot wide receiver and play man so they could keep a corner outside on Cook. And I think that, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, doesn't show up at times, as they say, in the box score, but he gives the Eagles tremendous versatility in their man coverage concepts. When you have that a player with that kind of a versatility, you say that that brings you a lot of value and that versatility helps... Exactly, like I kind of like dive into that a little bit. Why why does that bring so much value to Jim Schwartz and to Corey Unlin and the rest of the staff? What teams want to do with really good receiving tight ends is they always feel that number one, they can beat linebackers easily, and number two, they can beat most safeties. And as good as Malcolm Jenkins is, and he, you know, I'm sure that they feel that the cooks of the world, those kinds of tight ends, can line up outside and they can still beat safeties. Now you put a corner on them, and the corner is a better athlete. Now the corner is not as big, obviously, but the corner is a better athlete, a more explosive moving athlete. So the matchup is better for the defense, and then you still feel very comfortable with Jenkins who was a corner in college and has played the slot in his Eagles career, you line him up on a wide receiver in the inside slot, and you're totally comfortable with that. So it gives you so much more versatility and flexibility in your man coverage concepts because Jenkins can basically play against tight ends man-to-man, and he can play against select wide receivers man-to-man, and you feel good about it. Staying in the secondary, I was really impressed with the play of number one, Jalen Mills, but number two, really especially Ronald Darby in this game. You, you Obviously the pick at the end of the game was clutch. It was an outstanding play, turned the tide for the Eagles and helped set them up for victory, but Two tackles on the outside uh, in the screen game I thought were really impressive. He was a, a factor throughout the course of the night in the run game. Coming downhill, maybe didn't get, wasn't credited with a solo tackle, but maybe he was setting the edge. Maybe he was jumping in late. Maybe he was helping uh, to get Marshawn Lynch to the ground. I thought he showed up from the physical side of the game numerous times. and I, I really was impressed by the game that Ronald Darby put out on film. Well, it's funny you say that because I really noticed him in the run game. You know, because they had so many of those three tight end closed formations, so the corner to the 
side of the close formation, which was often Darby, that corner now is a primary run support player, and he had to get involved in the run game, and I thought he did a really good job. Because, look, you're not expecting corners to come up and stick guys, you know, like a linebacker, but he was willing to be physical and be competitive as a tackler in the run game, and that really did stand out. There was the one play where he ended up, he was probably more the nail than he was the hammer taking on Marshawn Lynch. But, uh, you know, again, showing the willingness, the physicality, I thought was really impressive in that game. When you look down at the, at the defensive line, Greg, the, the player that stood out to me, and he stands out on a nearly weekly basis, was Brandon Graham. You know, before his injury, I, I thought he did a really good job in the run game in this game, both against the, whether he was going up against tight ends, uh, getting double teamed at the point of attack, or one on one against the tackle, backside, play side, didn't matter. Uh, BG was really disruptive in this game, I thought. And the play we broke down on the All-22 review, brought to you by Community College of Philadelphia, by the way, Fran, if you didn't know that. Uh, that was a great, great play. It was the fumble by Lynch, and we broke it down, and it was Graham who made that play with his slant inside, preventing Hudson, the center, from getting out as a puller because uh, Hudson's responsibility was Nigel Bradham, and that left Nigel Bradham clean in the hole. So Graham, you know, it's funny. I mean, obviously he didn't make the Pro Bowl. I think he has nine and a half sacks, so it's not as if he's going to end up with 15 or 18 sacks. But he's become a really, really disruptive run defender for a guy who's not 290 pounds. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with him. Hopefully, uh, with this with his ankle, that he'll he'll be back. He's apparently is good. He will be good to go. So, uh, well, he'll be good to go for the playoffs. I mean, course. this week they can rest him if they choose to. There's no reason to put him out there if there's any concern about that. But he uh, he's been he's been a really good player for them. And you know, the other player we talk about every week when we're watching the games, and we probably haven't mentioned him much on the podcast, but Chris Long, I think, has really added an awful lot to this defense. Far surpassed any expectation I think I had. People expected him to be a gutsy, competitive, you know, run defender because that's the kind of player he is. But I think he's he's certainly surpassed my expectations as a pass rusher. Greg, anything in particular you're looking forward to in this game on Sunday when we watch them against the Dallas Cowboys? Obviously, we don't know how Doug Peterson is going to use the personnel, if he's going to give people off, if he's going to let them play a drive or two, but is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to in this game? Well, I tell you what I'm most anxious, and we, we may see it, we may not. You know, and, and we discussed it last night, we discussed it here in my matchup office today, is Nick Foles does need reps right now, Fran. He, you know, but this is a hard call for a coaching staff. I, you know, it's not an easy call, uh, but he does need reps. He needs to be out there. He needs to, you know, whether you just give him some quick games, whatever you want to give him, but he needs some reps because, uh, look, there's no way, and they'll, they'll say all the right things publicly as they should, but there's no way coming off last night's performance in the building uh, at Novacare where you are that they feel really good right now about Nick coming off that performance. So he needs some reps. That's right, and we will see if he will get those reps this Sunday afternoon at Lincoln Financial Field against the Dallas Cowboys. Well, Greg, looking forward to watching the game with you on Sunday. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I mentioned earlier that the question we got from Richard S. down in Charleston, well, I wanted to give some love as well. 
to MT57, who also went on to iTunes, rated the show, left comments saying how much they enjoy listening each week to the podcast. So thanks so much to MT57, all of you out there, for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep the show going. I told you we would wrap it up. Breaking down San Diego State running back Rashad Penny this week. He is our subject in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Rashad Penny, 5'11", even, 220 pounds. He was the two-time Mountain West Special Teams Player of the Year coming into the year. Very productive player as a backup to Eagles fourth-round pick Donnell Pumphrey. And he's a little bit bigger than Pumphrey, but again, was his backup throughout the course of his career. Did not register a start before this season. Entered the year as the active leader in kickoff return touchdowns in the country. He had five coming into the season. Notched a couple more this year as well. So, very accomplished special teams player. And again, just a one year starter for Jeff Horton out there in San Diego. Pro-style offense. He ran from one and two back sets. They did use a fullback. Good mix of zone and gap schemes. A lot of the things we talked about with Pumphrey last year, you're going to see this year with Penny in that he's used to running an NFL-style offense. He he was asked to do a lot of the things that are very easily translatable for an NFL running back. He's a well-built kid, above average height and weight for the position. Very decisive runner. You know, when he sees the hole, he hits it hard, and he does a nice job of setting up and following blockers both in a phone booth and out in space. I think he's a solid athlete overall with enough quickness and change direction skills to be an NFL ball carrier at a pretty high level. It has just enough short area explosiveness, I think, to get to the outside. And once he hits his stride in the open field, he definitely has the speed to pull away from defenders out in space. He can take advantage of bad angles by defenders in elusive back. That's one of the things that stands out to me most. He's very slippery. He'll wiggle out of contact and make defenders look a little silly if they're at all tentative trying to bring him down. He's a creative kid that will use a stiff arm to keep defenders defenders at bay, does what he can to pick up every inch of grass as a ball carrier. He's not powerful, but he will finish runs hard. He protects the football, didn't fumble once in any of the four games that I've studied from him so far, displays natural hands out of the backfield, both in the screen game and out running routes. He can separate on option routes with quickness and with technique, and he does a nice job scanning the defense and pass protection, seeing the entire field. While his technique can improve, he can get a little bit better there at the point of contact. He is assignment sound. So there's a lot to like there with Rashad Penny. As far as negatives, Obviously, look, he, he's only been a starter for a little bit, so you have to be able to worry about is he going to translate to be a full-time back, a primary back, because it takes a certain mindset to be that kind of player, especially at the NFL level. I would say between the tackles, he's more of a mover and a shaker than he is kind of a grinder. Uh, we'll look to bounce gaps sometimes and to try and take those a little bit outside when he should hit it inside at times. Overall, though, I thought he was a pretty decisive kid. Did benefit from a very good college offensive line. He was That offensive line is very, very good out there at San Diego State. But overall, competitive runner, not overly powerful like I mentioned. He's not going to move a lot of piles, and he wasn't moved around the formation like Pumphrey was in terms of being a satellite player in an offense. Again, had never been a starter before this season, but I think he's got the physical skill set to be a really effective player based off the games I've studied so far. Decisive, elusive, flashes third down potential. I'm excited to watch more of him moving forward. He will be at the Senior Bowl. Hopefully I'm not down there. Hopefully we're getting ready for a trip to Minnesota for the Super Bowl, but 
Donnell or uh, Rashad Penny does have the ability to be a really interesting player. I think he's going to be in the discussion anywhere from rounds two to four in the upcoming NFL draft. I think there's potential starting potential there for the running back position. So great stuff from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one last time, take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment, and don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because, as you can see, I'd love to answer the ability to answer it here on the podcast. So all that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.